says referenced in times past catechisms. I think you just did a reference recently, either Sunday or Wednesday. The importance of catechisms, but also of creeds. We get this from what is known as the Apostles' Creed, which basically is a brief statement of faith. And each of these are important as we think of our relationship with a mighty God, as we sang, How Great Thou Art. Our verse of confession this morning is found in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul, writing to the Christians, the believers at Rome, says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you've placed your faith in him, you are part of that blessed group. If you're here this morning and you've not then your deeds will be counted against you one day. As we prepare for our hearts for the Lord's word, uh, my voice will drop. We'll have a brief moment of confession, and I would simply ask that you confess any known sins and ask for the Lord to uh, purify your heart as we prepare to preach from God's word. And then I'll lead us into a public prayer of confession. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Father, we come before your throne recognizing the need for you to send your only begotten Son to pay for the sins of us, for my sins, for our sins, Father, for those who have trusted and placed their faith in you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would Bless the reading of your word, Father, the preaching that you would anoint me as a broken vessel to proclaim your truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Having announced my retirement back in February, I spent time thinking what I would preach on, and as I looked at the calendar, realizing this would be Palm Sunday, Sort of going against my tradition, I will not be preaching a Palm Sunday message. I am going to continue in the book of Romans, but I'm going to, we've, we've gone through chapter 10. Uh, my last message was Romans 12, as I began to look at um, how I would wrap up my final weeks here. And then looking through Romans, I thought the best place to end for a farewell sermon would be Paul's farewell message. And that's in Romans chapter 16. If you would turn there, we'll be looking at verses 17 and following. As you're turning there, it, I don't usually like to point folks out, but uh, one of our guests With us today is a young lady who 
What makes you think I'm going to need that? <laughs> Young lady who worked for me and was a manager in a restaurant in Bolivar, Missouri, 37 years ago. Haven't seen her in 37 years. Lived down in Florida and was in the area and has, has been watching us. Chris recognized the name. She's been watching us now for a year plus. Um, and so Michelle is with us with her son, Ken, from Bradenton, Florida, which is just south of Tampa. The, what'd I say? Oh, boy. <laughs> Kim, you're looking good for your age, buddy. <laughs> Husband, Kim. But it is such a joy to see Michelle and what the Lord has done in her life these last 37 years and how we've stayed in contact through those years and how I've seen the Lord use her in a mighty way. So it brings joy to my heart. As Carol walked her up to me and I didn't at first recognize her, I look a little different after that. She really does. I should have guessed you look basically the same. I'm the one that looks. She actually brought out a picture of when we knew each other 37 years ago. Don't ask for the picture because it doesn't look like me. So... But let me give you a quick overview of Romans, not to spend a lot of time, but we've gone through this book now for well over a year. Uh, Chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about how God justifies us and he pardons our sin. Romans chapter 4, God credits Abraham with imputed righteousness. You've heard both Pastor Chris and I talk about imputed righteousness. Chapter 5, God identifies with us by the death of Christ, uh, by us being dead to sin. Chapter 6, Though we're dead to sin, the sinful nature uh, is still there, but it's crucified, and unfortunately there is that sinful nature we see in verse chapter 7. Romans chapter 8, a very popular chapter for many, God indwells us with his spirit uh, so we can live a righteous life through grace. Romans 9, through divine election, God has chosen us. Romans 10, there's no separation as we are engrafted, both the Jew and Gentile, through Christ. Chapter 11, uh, we can have confidence. Chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, we have not preached on yet, so this is just an overview of those chapters, but chapter 11 is about having confidence in God's faithfulness, how great thou art, right? Chapter 12, great joy in identifying and using your spiritual gift. If you've been part of any spiritual gift study, no doubt uh, Romans uh, uh, chapter 12 has been part of that study. Chapter 13 of Romans, God identifies and explains the importance of government and authority. Chapter 14, differentiating between the weak and strong believers. Chapter 15, maintaining unity uh, in the church. And then chapter 16, uh, he gives his farewell promise or his farewell speech to the church at Rome. And he provides some final cautions. In his closing remarks to Rome, uh, he discusses an element that the church will face. In fact, we've been discussing this at length during our Sunday school hour on eschatology, and that's this whole issue of false prophets, false teachers, and scandals within the church. And so he reminds the church that they are to fight the good fight of faith. We are reminded as K. Russo Baptists that we are to fight the good fight of faith, and we are to rebuke and renounce false teachings, false prophets. In fact, God does have a a rejection list, so to speak. Um, Unbelievers, of course, we talked about the sheep goat judgment last week in our Sunday school hour. Uh, Unbelieving sinners will spend an eternity in hell. If you're here this morning and 
you've never responded to the gospel. You're here because maybe somebody invited you. Uh, you're here because it's Palm Sunday, but you've never personally trusted in the saving grace of the Messiah. You're part of that one group of the unbelievers that will see an eternity in hell. You say, well, preacher, why are you talking about that? Because that's the word of God. <laughs> that's the truth. I am obligated to issue that caution. And then also he will have such a judgment on many who profess to be believers. They're, they come to church. In fact, they're members of churches. In fact, they're members of Southern Baptist churches. In fact, some are even deacons and, yea, may even preachers. Because Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, which we all speak of often, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, not some, many, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then will I, the Lord says, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, we might be quick to judge these individuals and say they are guilty of more serious sins. This is not talking about us. Well, we see also in 1 Corinthians 5 an example maybe of one of these more serious sins that we would say, not me. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even amongst the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, presumed his stepmother, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if in present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Paul saying he judged them? Yeah, that's what he's saying, based on the word of God. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to, listen to these words, you are to deliver this man to Satan? This is somebody in the church. You're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, there are some strong languages that Paul uses as a caution. There are preachers all over the internet today that you can watch. Maybe some of you watch one of these individuals or some of these individuals. And it's what we oftentimes talk about, the fluff and stuff. The flowery language, they are cunning words, but you'll almost never hear any kind of words of judgment or condemnation. In other words, it's a feel-good. Let me, let, let me set it straight. You're not going to feel good at the end of this. I knew I wouldn't get an amen. Because Paul, in his parting words, as we think of those, this is not Paul on his deathbed, but it is final words, and this is what he talks about when he deals with the whole issue of sin. He goes on after we already read chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Listen to verses 9 through 13. Paul again says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual and moral people, not at all meaning the sexual moral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater 
reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Again, he's talking to people within the church. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? You know, we love to quote Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, lest thou be judged. Listen to Paul's words. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. You know, in other words, when I hear people talk about whether it's a, a, a leader in another country or our own leaders, and say, how can such and such, and such a person do such and such a thing? Well, if, not, if they're not a believer, unbelievers act like, that's right. That's how they're supposed to act. God's going to judge them. We're supposed to act like believers. And Paul closes out those words, purge the evil person from among you. And so we, before we get too judgmental with regards to these, these type of people, Pastor Michael, you were reading about sexual immorality and all these gross things. That's not part of us. I'm going to move to another text where Paul, I'm sorry, Matthew actually describes the same process of putting people out, but you'll notice you won't hear all these gross immoral sins because those are the ones that we sort of wipe ourselves clean and say, that's not me, although I venture to say we probably have some of those issues in our own church, unfortunately, because that's what statistics suggest. But listen to Matthew's words in Matthew 18. And notice the lack of reference of any kind of specific sin. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother, understood or sister, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, an outcast. We refer to that in our own church constitution as church discipline. What sin do you see mentioned there? None. It simply says if I have an issue with something that Ben has said about me through gossip, it's pick on Ben Day, so buckle up. <laughs> What's my obligation? Well, it's my obligation simple. Stand up in front of everybody and say, this is what Ben said about me. Is that my obligation? What's my obligation? Go to Ben. Let's work this out. And Ben says, Pastor Michael, you're right. I'm sorry. I repent. It's done. We've dealt with it. But he refuses to, and I've got to bring Brian with me, and then Chris with me, and at some point in time, he flaunts his sin and says, you get what you deserve. And now we have to come before the... That's the process of Matthew 18. It's not a pleasant one. It's why most churches don't practice it at all. But Paul is given this kind of warning. So hopefully you found your place. That's a long introduction. You found your place to Romans 16. And as is our custom, one last time, if you're able, would you stand with me as we read verses 17 through 20? Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine or contrary to the teaching 
that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but understood they serve their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good. I want you to be wise as to what is innocent. I want you to be wise as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for these final words from the Apostle Paul. Lord, in the challenge that he lays at the feet of these Roman Christians. And Lord, now I pray that you give me the boldness to proclaim your truth, Father, to issue these same cautions to our people this morning. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit might work as only he can work. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So again, as giving thought, I felt in essence I would leave you with a challenge. And so the sermon is entitled, A Final Challenge, and the challenge is simply this, be discerning. Be discerning. I could have said be wise, because we see that often, but we're going to focus about that, and it's going to be three simple points. One is be actively discerning. Second, be appropriately disassociating. And third, be anticipating deliverance. So let's look at that first point, which is be actively discerning. Most of you know what the word discern means. It's basically, it has an element of judgment to it, right? Judge what's good or what's not good. Judge what's right or what's not right. Be discerning between good and evil. We get that in Romans 16, the first couple verses that we've already read, verses 17 and 18. Let me read them again. Paul says, I appeal to you. Brothers, he's talking to Christians, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Well, who's he talking about? Other people in that church. Watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. That's pretty harsh. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord. Well, wait a minute, they're a member of our church. For such persons do not serve our Lord. But wait a minute, they're a deacon in our church. For such persons do not serve our Lord. You get the point? And they're in every Southern Baptist church in America, every independent Baptist church in America, all, no, I was going to say all other denominations, and I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> But the reality is Paul is talking to a church. And he tells us that as believers who follow the word of God, we are to battle for truth at all costs, even when we are going to be cast out by others as being judgmental. You're just judgmental. That's right. When I was called four years ago as pastor of this church, the individuals, including Mark Langford, uh, who was the chairman of the search committee, and the church body judged me based on scripture as to whether or not I qualified to serve as a pastor. You may not like that word, but that's what was done. And Paul talks about that. 
because he doesn't think it's right to sweep things under the carpet. Now, as we get into the truth of those verses and future verses, there's going to be some key words that we'll look at. So the first one is that first verse, verse 17 again. Uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who have caused division. The Greek word translated appeal is the word parakaleo. Uh, para, we get words like parallel. Uh, it's made up of two words. literally means to call alongside of. What Paul is trying to use is, is a word that is intended to provide encouragement by, by Michelle, and I don't mean to pick on Michelle since she's visiting, but, but by her coming, having not seen her for 37 years, and others coming, uh, Steve is here, who has been my director of missions my four years here, alongside to show support. That warms any pastor's heart. Imagine, imagine seeing someone you haven't seen in years and they're just there to say, hey, I support you. Paul's trying to emphasize, I want to be alongside you because this is important. But he's not just talking about words. He wants to emphasize action because back to verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch the words, to watch out for those others. Watch out for those. That that Greek word, again, is another Greek word. It's another unique word. But it's different. We've been talking about the rapture, the second coming, end of the world, the judgment seats for 18 months during Sunday school. And one of the key phrases is to watch in the clouds for the return of Christ. That Greek word, it's a word for watching with excitement, is the Greek word gregoreo. We get the name Gregory from that. That's not the word used here. This particular Greek word is to watch out for something almost like investigating. In fact, it's the Greek word skopos. You might hear such words as scope. Think of a scope on the end of a gun, right? Or microscope to look at closely. That's the Greek word. In other words, to watch out for them, to keep a close eye out, to be discerning. It's not a watching Gregorio with great anticipation. I can't wait for Resurrection Sunday. I can't wait for my birthday. I can't wait for my anniversary. I can't wait for vacation. It's not Gregorio. It's Scopos. I'm watching you. I've got my eyes on you. That's what Paul's saying is be prepared. Be cautious. Dig deep. In fact, it also can mean to make a mark to identify. Listen to some other translations I've read to you from the ESV. King James Version, this is again Romans 16, 17, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions. Mark them which cause divisions. The New American Standard, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause divisions. Kenneth Weist, actually, yeah, um, yeah, that's the New American Kenneth Weist, translation you're probably not too familiar with, but he's a great Greek scholar. His translation says, now I beg of you, I like that wording, please, brethren, be keeping a watchful eye because it's written in the present tense. 
It's actually an ongoing action. Keep your eye out constantly for these. It's also what's called the active voice in the Greek. In other words, it's not Pastor Chris and Pastor Michael's responsibility to be the only ones to look out for this. We're all to do this. It's a challenge to all. It's an active voice. So we then get into the specifics of what Paul is challenging these Roman Christians about. Back to again 17. We're hitting a lot on verse 17. This is the longest of the three points. But back to verse 17 in the ESV. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. So what's, what's he mean there? Paul is cautioning against those who are causing divisions within that church. Do you know that people in churches cause divisions? And many times those divisions result in what? Church splits. Sadly enough, the Southern Baptist Convention, we're not exempt from that. Our association is not exempt from that. Ohio Baptist is not exempt from that. Nor any other denomination for that matter. Because there are those whose seeming desire is just to cause divisions. The Greek word literally comes again from two words meaning two standings. So what does that mean by two standings? Think of it this way. That this way. Your child wants something, and it comes to daddy and says, Daddy, I want a new car. And daddy says, no. Picking on you now. <laughs> then we go to mom. Mom, dad thinks it's okay that I might get a new car. What's she doing? She's standing the two against each other. Is she not? I mean, don't kids do that? I mean, that's their spiritual gift, cause division amongst parents. Uh, all sadly said, there are times you begin to wonder, but there are those individuals that just seems to be their philosophy in life. What can I do to cause division? It's, it's a child playing one parent against the other. And then you get to the word and create obstacles. We seemingly understand... I think without having to go into a lot of detail, what Paul means when he says causing divisions. But what's he mean when he says creating obstacles? Well, I'll tell you what the Greek word is, and I think you'll get an idea easier because of the Greek word. The Greek word is scandalon. What English word do you hear? Oh, scandal. Sound a little bit more familiar? Not only are these individuals wanting to cause divisions, they're scandalous. That's their motivation. This particular word is used, the Greek word is used some 15 times in the Greek New Testament. Translated often offense, hindrance, stumbling block. Matthew 16, I'll give you a couple of these uses. Matthew 16, verse 23, Matthew writes and says, But he turned, being Jesus, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a scandalon. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I believe most anybody in this room that has followed the scripture as a true believer, while there's debate over the response of Judas, I fall into the camp that believed Judas was not a believer, ended up in hell. Peter truly repents, but yet Jesus accuses him of being a scandal. Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a scandalos, a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. This could take a length of time, and I did some initial research and decided it would take too long, but we've had a lot of scandals amongst Christian leaders those in our generation. Um, so I decided to just reference three, two of which definitely everyone knows. I would think a third no, but we all remember the Jim Baker, Jim and Baker, Tammy Baker scandal, although most of us would say, well, we didn't really follow their teaching. Typically, a church of our nature, most folks would not follow a t Jim and Tammy Baker. If you did and that offends you, then I became your stumbling block right there. <laughs> but I didn't do that to be a scandal. Or, or Jimmy Swaggart, likewise. But the one that hurts me the most has been most recently. Because virtually every Sunday as I would drive up here with Carol, we would listen to a man who I've seen in person many times and has been my favorite apologist for years, named Ravi Zacharias. My heart breaks for his wife, his children because of an incredible scandal. I have a friend that I spent years as an early Christian in um, camp together with. He, he was once Robbie's right-hand man. His name is Paul Copan. Some of you, he's got many books out. Paul and I have been friends for years and just stunned by this news of Robbie. That's all been validated by their ministry. He said, well, again, Pastor, those are some pretty serious sins. But let me ask you this. <laughs> Chris, you followed Robbie. Would you have ever expected that news when it came out? Steve, I know you know who he is. Did you expect that? Josh Harris, did you expect it? Josh Harris? That's the meaning of scandals. They're so good at hiding it. My prayer is if you're here this morning and that's your motivation, may God have mercy on you. Because the judgment is severe. You say, well, I'm not that kind of person. Well, most people would never recognize you. But I believe, as we'll see in a moment, some of the signs might become evident by motives. So be, be actively discerning. And again, you can look at the time. You're going to say, boy, if that's just point one. Well, not only is it point one, that's just the introduction of point one. I've got a couple subpoints, but trust me, the rest goes pretty quickly. But here's how you become discerning. First, you check their conduct. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division. Just, just watch their conduct. One of the things that was said by John MacArthur of Ravi was that he had cautioned Ravi many, many, many times that he needed to be part of a local church. There was no accountability. What I, what I also recognize is John made the comment in a recent interview 
that Ravi had an incredible mind, things like you would never believe, but never ever quoted scripture. Telling sign, watch their conduct. I, I missed it. Did you know that he never quoted scripture? I, I never, I, yeah. And I've listened back and, and not, not one message ever, but he talks about the principles, but never quoted scripture. Check their conduct, Romans 16, 17, again, talking about causing divisions, creating obstacles. 2 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So first, check their conduct. But second, check their content. Check their content. Back to Romans 16, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles. Then this, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. We're told in Scripture to be good Bereans. We get that concept from Acts 17, verses 10, 11. Luke says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word, they heard the word preached with ignorance, examining, scopos, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Are you daily examining scripture? Not only check their character, check their content. And then 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to young Timothy, do, not, do, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. This is where the Awana organization gets their name. Rightly handling, some translations, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me ask you a question. If you can rightly handle the word of truth, what else does that mean? You can wrongly handle it. This is a whole element of false teachers. Check out their conduct, check out their content. Three, check out their character. Romans 16, 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetite. These individuals are motivated by self-interest and self-gratification. Listen to these words again, because these are strong words. And this is a part that I think gets left out because there's so much of a focus on the evil sins. For such persons do not serve our own Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. These are the individuals within churches that want things their way. Pastor doesn't do this. I've, we both like the tradition of standing when we pray or when we read the word. Somebody says, I don't like that you, that's too formal. If you don't stop doing that, I'm leaving. Or a prayer of confession. If you don't stop doing that, I'm leaving. Or the music. If you don't change the music, I'm leaving. Or the design of the bulletin. If you don't change the design of the bulletin, I'm leaving. They want it their way. My way or the highway. Folks, they're in churches. And they cause divisions. They're not sexually immoral. They're not idolaters. They simply, based on what Paul is saying here, they want to do things their way. They want to satisfy their own appetites. Who are we here 
to serve Christ Almighty. In fact, I remember an old saying as far as, you know, how we conduct ourselves. It was the word joy, always remembering Jesus, others, you. You all know that one, but not this person. It's me, Jesus, and then others. And then fourth, check their communication. Check their conduct, content, character, communication. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetite. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We've talked about this is how the Antichrist will be in the last days. Smooth talk, flattery. They're very effective in their communication. Again, that's how I felt of Ravi Zacharias. So be actively discerning. Second, be appropriately disassociating. Back to verse 16, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 17, very last part of that verse. After he says, I appeal to you, don't do this. But then he says, avoid them. Other translations say, turn away from them or keep away from them. In other words, this requires not only obedience, but wisdom to skopos the scandalon. Are you getting the Greek words? You've got to be discerning enough to skopos, investigate, watch clearly all these things with the intent of disassociating with them. That's what Matthew 18 is about far as church discipline is concerned. Romans 16, 19, which we read, Paul says, for your obedience is known to all. Other churches had found out that they were obedient in dealing with sin. You know, some churches just don't want to deal with sin. It's the proverbial what we call sweeping it under the carpet. It'll just go away. You know what? It goes away like cancer goes away. If you don't deal with it, it kills. And sometimes it's tough to cut out a little bit of the cancer. Anyone that's been here that's gone through that knows exactly what I'm talking about. Paul's going to deal with, again, three quick ways as to how we appropriately disassociate ourselves with these individuals. First, you must indoctrinate yourself with God's word. You've got to know God's word. Otherwise, you can't know. You, you can't know what's false if you don't know what's true. 1 John 4, 1, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You've heard us both, Pastor I, Chris and I both say, check our teachings. We encourage you, don't just take it at face value. Dig deep. That doesn't mean if you find something that you think you disagree with, you go tell everybody we're a false teacher. Bring it to our attention. I've been married for 40 years in June. Carol will tell you there have been things that people brought to my attention and I've reversed my position on. That's how we handle it. But be willing and able to do that for, for, for your obedience. And then he says, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent. They were obedient to the ways. Again, they were indoctrinating themselves. 1 John 4, 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
So not only indoctrinate yourself with God's word, number two, defend the truth against the lies. So it's one thing to discern and observe it. There is a second step, defend the truth against lies. First Timothy, I'm sorry, Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We stand for truth, even when it means confronting false teaching. Now, sometimes the false teaching may be unintentional, and it's just a matter of showing, oh, by the way, this is what the Greek word means. Let me give you a perfect example. In over 40 or 40 years of ministry, I've heard most preachers, when they talk about the believer's armor, preach it something like this. Every morning, you're to put on the armor of God to protect yourself against the wiles of the devil. That gets good, that sounds like good preaching. But usually that Greek, that pastor has not read the Greek because the Greek says this, put it on and keep it on. Why? Because the enemy's always striking. So we wouldn't label that person a false teacher. We might say that was false teaching. We show them the truth of the word and they say, I never saw it that way. Because that's what happened to me on that, met, that, that text years ago. It's just say, but you've got to know the truth to present the truth. All right? And then separate yourself from them as a final step, which is similar to what we write in Matthew 18. Matthew 16, 17, again at the end of the verse says, avoid them. Then 2 Timothy 3, 5 having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. So be actively discerning, be appropriately disassociating, and finally, be anticipating deliverance. The battle for truth is a demanding task. It can become worrisome. We sometimes can feel like we're fighting the battle alone because it takes vigilance. But Paul reminds us of the promise of God's word. First, he says, anticipate God's deliverance from Satan. Look at verse 20, Romans 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Christ be with you. You see, the reality is this. We, as true believers, can look forward to the day that Satan and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire in the eternity of separation from God. And we can be reminded that even before we reach eternity, yea, this side of glory, John even reminds us in 1 John 4, 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Or put it another way, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we can anticipate God's deliverance from Satan. But second and finally, we can anticipate God's deliverance not through our own actions, but through grace. Last part of verse 20. 
the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. There's one thing that allows us to fight this good fight of faith. There's one thing that allows us to be discerning. There's one thing that gives us the ability to be disassociating. There's one thing that gives us the the understanding of deliverance, and that's grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And that grace goes much deeper than I was once was lost, but now I'm found. Because you see, there are times that individuals take that grace, they're saved, and they use that grace to excuse their future life. And you've never heard that from this pulpit, from either one of us. In fact, you've heard the opposite. And I'm challenging you with these words from the Apostle Paul that it goes even so deep that you, brother or sister in Christ, K. Russo Baptist member, K. Russo Baptist visitor, K. Russo Baptist attender, you have an obligation to assist us in looking out for sin in the camp, for those who desire to cause division. And I'm telling you that the words and the actions are identifiable, but we ignore them. And to me, one of the biggest key clues we touched on today is not only the false teaching, you catch that right away. Somebody comes up here, I invite some preacher that I knew. In fact, I used the name Paul Copan, friend of mine under Ravi. Paul has gone in a different direction. I don't with his teaching, unfortunately. Uh, had I not known that, I could have him up here teaching or preaching a message, and he would have really gone off track, but you all would have recognized it right away. I don't have time to go into detail, but you would have recognized it. And so false teaching is usually pretty identifiable. It's the subtleness. And to me, and I'll close with this, it's often identified back to that one verse of those who are wanting things their way. Be careful of those. Because that's usually what causes division. That individual, instead of coming to the pastor leadership to try to make things right, begins to small, form small groups. And he's been part of that. I've been part of that. Not to go into details where they, that group behind closed doors, gets larger and larger and larger. And before you know it, there's a church split. But I'm telling you, it's almost always identified by, I don't like how you do this. Paul saw it. He hit it head on. But I'm thankful that he didn't close with those words, because that sounds rather somewhat discouraging. I'm not preaching on these last verses, I promise you, because of the time, but I just want to share them as my parting words to you on this March 28, 2021, having spent four years as your pastor and ready to move on. Paul says, and I echo, now unto him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, 
but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring out the obedience of faith to the only, only, only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. doesn't get any better than that. And I ask the praise team if they would to make the way up. I have been blessed these last four years to call this my home. And it becomes a bittersweet day for me and my family. But I don't want that to overshadow the truth of the gospel this morning. And the need for this church to continue on the leadership of Pastor Chris, with the assistance of Steve and other churches in our great association, to stay identified with the Word of God and to follow its teachings. That we can say, now unto him be glory forevermore. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for its truth. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, as we sing this song of invitation, will move in hearts. If there be one here this morning that has yet to proclaim the power of the cross, watch you work in their midst. We'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Chris will join me at the altar. If you feel so led to come to the altar to pray, maybe to share something, you come as we sing together. Let's stand together. Thank you.